Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And I actually think there's no better way uh, to start this podcast than saying, holy bully guacamole. What a fucking transfer window, boys. This was arguably the greatest transfer window, uh, not just in Chelsea's history, but I think in all of human existence. Here to talk about it is Andres and Sam. As usual, Andres, I'll start with you, buddy. You asked me to say it. I did it. You did it. Thank you. And now I say, Muchacho, ahora no volví a ilusionar. We fucking got Enzo, man. So freaking hyped. (laughs) Sam, are you as hyped as Andy? I mean, this is the guy that both of you guys have wanted this whole entire transfer window. I have always been skeptical. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like you're saying this is possibly the greatest transfer window in the history of humanity. Right. That's what you said. Humanity. Mm-hmm. That's TBD to be at, determined. Zach. At least AD. <laughs> oh, at least AD. <laughs> BC, there was, there was much better. transfer windows, right? Yeah, the greatest um, transfer of all time was when, Jesus went from the Jews to the Christians, right? Yeah, Did that happened. I don't. I didn't read the Bible. I don't know if that actually happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look but but, uh, to <laughs> but um, <laughs> TBD, because these guys have not played a single match, or some of these guys have played a match for Chelsea, but Enzo Fernandez. He's played, what, like 14, 15 senior matches so far in his young career. Yeah, he won a World Cup. We've seen the World Cup hype before lead to some pretty bad purchases. And I'm not going to be the negative one to say that this was a bad buy. I'm just going to – I'm going to withhold judgment until we see the finished product. Uh yeah, well, just don't, don't kill our vibes. That's the only rule we have for this episode, Sam. When it comes to Enzo, it's only vibes. That's all what that that's that's all that we're really here for. Hey, honestly, honestly, watching Fabrizio's stream and saying I am saying like I have big news coming up, guys. Big news. Please wait. And I'm just like sitting there. I'm at work, like watching it on my phone, and I'm like, dude, is he gonna is he gonna say it? And he was like, it's official, guys. Benfica and Chelsea have reached an agreement for Enzo Fernandez. Here we go, confirmed. Presented by Heineken. And I was like, oh! Like, clapping in my office by myself. Like, that was an exciting moment. (laughs) I haven't felt... Like, that doesn't usually happen in the football world. Like, stuff like that, like Woj bombs and stuff. Like, that kind of happens more in, like, basketball um football but to see that live was really sick yeah that was, was, that was, that was one of the most exciting exciting moments of the transfer window for sure i that really guy, thought for a second that it was gonna be like a total like smoke screen and he's gonna be like z yes to psg confirmed 
I thought that's what I thought so too that he was going to announce the PSG paperwork's deal. completed and Nat, Nat, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, well, wrong paperwork completed. I mean, we'll we'll get into more detail about the uh, Ziesh and PSG deal that um, never was. Um, but before we do, I just kind of want to go over our January boys. So um, if you haven't caught the drift yet, this is a January transfer window roundup pod. We're going to be talking about all the signings. We're going to be talking about how we think they'll fit in with the squad, who will benefit from them, um, and uh, what to look forward to. So we would be remiss if we didn't talk about all of the other signings um, outside of Enzo, the big name here. So I'll start with David Datro Fofana. Um, we spoke about him briefly. He was the first signing in January, $11 million from Molda. The club announced um, recently that he's staying for the rest of the season amidst loan interest. I know Nice recently inquired about him towards the end of the transfer window, but the club insisted that I mean, he like, stayed. Sorry to cut you off. Like, yeah. The day he was signed, it was like rumored that it was going to be an immediate loan. So yeah, like I, I got, I was like really like bummed about that because I wanted to see him, but I'm happy that it didn't happen. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well I was going to say just to kind of speak on him a bit I, i'm kind of glad that um that he's staying but a part of me wishes that he went out on loan to be completely honest andres what do you think well i don't think i mean obama yang is not going to get many starts at this point so the only thing that could keep fofana from getting some solid minutes is if suddenly like we get into a crazy good run of form and top fours within reach again i think that's the thing that could maybe hurt Fofana getting minutes. But if we're going to continue kind of having these growing pains, these ups and downs, I don't see why he can't get minutes. I mean, Kai Havertz can't play 90 minutes every single week as the nine. So, yeah, yeah I, I I do agree that alone would have been better. But at the same time, now Potter gets to see, like, if he's going to be a name that gets to stick around next season or not. Yeah, I guess the, the sample size isn't big enough to make a call on him just yet. Um, so why not keep him at the club? Maybe give him a little bit of playing time here and there. Next up on the list, we have Benoit Badiashil. We already talked about him. The Badman, 34 million pounds for Monaco, seven and a half year deal. We got glimpses of him already in two appearances. He kept two clean sheets. He looked yeah, extremely he comfortable at center back. Andres, um, speak on Badiashil a little bit. Well, he is benching Kalidou Koulibaly at the moment, so... You know that's a good sign when you come in, supposedly you're most likely going to get a loan and, and nothing immediate, and I do think at this point you can't drop him. Uh, I do think, unfortunately, he won't be added to the Champions League squad. Uh, only three spots are available, and something tells me some offensive players will get those slots instead of him. So that makes me think, in a good way, he'll get to play tons of Premier League minutes. So I'll take it. I'll, I'll take that give and take. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with what I see. Like this dude looks so freaking athletic on the pitch. He definitely seems like the strongest, biggest, like quick, like fastest guy when he's, when he's running around, like, you know, all the strikers and forwards from the other team. Uh, I've been really impressed with what I've seen so far. I, I hope he gets added to the roster, but for Champions League, but yeah, it looks like we're stuck with Koulibaly, which is something I never thought I'd 
I'd ever say, but in that tone, that's right. But yeah, I, I think the thing. I think the thing that impressed me the most with him is how calm and mature he looks when he's on the ball. Like he's he's as cool as a cucumber. He doesn't really get uh, panicky under pressure. He doesn't clear the ball needlessly. He know he picks and chooses his times when to play the short, simple pass and when to kind of just clear his lines and and uh, reset the defense. So I like him so far. And he's left foot. And he's left footed too. Yeah, that's a good point. So do we have the, any other center backs who are left footed? Colwell, mm, but he's on loan. Colwell, yeah. Exactly. So, so it'll be between him and Colwell next year, back. assuming Koulibaly leaves. You have him and Colwell on the left, and then you go have between like Tiago, Trevo, if he's still here. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, just kind of moving on. We have uh, Andre Santos, the Brazilian wonder kid, eighteen million from Vasco da Gama. Um, listen, guys. I mean, he's been turning heads at the uh, Copa Sudamericana with Brazil's U twenties. He has four goals in four games. From what I understand, um, he was playing as a cam. This looks like it's going to be a good investment. Andres, you're shaking your head. Am I wrong? Yeah, he's, he's playing box-to-box box right now uh, okay. for Brazil. And, I mean, we already, we already profited on this investment just based on his tournament in the U-20 World Cup. There's no way he is still valued at $18 million. He captains the U20 side. I don't know if you guys got to see the video of him hyping up the the players yeah. going Tiago into S. the match. That was pretty sick. Uh, but I'm really excited about this one. I hope his visa gets approved. It sounds like Chelsea's working really hard behind the scenes because they want to integrate him into the side as quickly as possible for the rest of the season. It just comes down to getting his work permit right now. Sam, are you hyped to have a, a Brazilian outfield player that's not a center back yeah i mean i said it before when we first got him uh the exciting thing is seeing chelsea scout south american players yeah so that by itself excites me but hearing about what he's been doing at the u20s or with the u20s in brazil uh for brazil's u20s has been exciting as well so let's yeah. see how old it, i mean he's 19 18 years old so Something like that. And like and like Andres mentioned, he's been wearing the captain's armband too. So that's something to keep an eye on. If he can kind of hone in on those leadership abilities and translate them to Chelsea, fuck yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, Mikhailo Mudrik, the Ukrainian wonder kid, 70 million euros from Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, as you guys already know, as all Chelsea fans know, he played about 35, 36 minutes against Liverpool, and he showed glimpses of what he's able to offer. Um, he's already clocked in the fastest sprint speed in the English Premier League this season. Um, that's 36.63 kilometers per hour, which equates to, for those um, who are in America, to 22.7 miles per hour. The guy Jeez. runs as fast as a car. A slow car. Wheels. Yeah. Wheels. I mean, just think about move, moving a, your body Damn near 23 miles an hour. <laughs> Bro, I think like the fastest yeah, I clocked yeah. as a kid was like like in my prime athleticism in high school was like 14, 15 on like maybe 16 on a treadmill. Like the treadmill's yeah. doing the work for me. And this guy's just clocking that just on wet grass. Like, no, it's fucking insane. Insane. Yeah. So I mean I kind of already said my bit on him last pod, but 
Oh boy, dude, I, I, I really think we we have a gem. I really do. And I'm not trying to jump the gun or anything, but just based on the glimpses that I saw, um, he looks like the fucking real deal. And since then, like all the videos that have come out of all the off the training, like off training work he's doing, he's staying mm -hmm. late shooting. He's doing a lot of like weights on his own with, he's got his personal trainer, I guess is with him after Chelsea practice at Cobham. Yeah. So the kid's super motivated about, you know, putting in the extra work, which is amazing to see. I didn't expect that from a, like, sorry, I judged him. He's tatted up. We, we all know now what's going on. He got busted for sort of dropping the N word on a TikTok video or something. So like, I thought he was going to be a shithead, but turns out that like, apart from a childish mistake, he seems pretty serious about his career. Uh, there was a quote by John Terry talking about Frank Lampard and how um, he would stay after practice, put in the extra work, and that basically that put I mean, that motivated the rest of the team to do the same. You know, it like literally just like a player like that makes everyone want to be better. Yeah, and I hope I know the generations are different now, like. The kids nowadays are a little bit different, and I'm saying that as I'm a part of that generation. But um, I'd, I'd like to think that this is something that is really good for the locker room and can um, lead to a lot of, you know, positive contributions. He has the Mamba mentality. Um, Joao Felix. So the man is almost done serving his three-match suspension after uh, shining in his debut before being showed a red card. It's been too um, long. It's been a long time. It's been damn near a month. It'll be over a month by the time we see him play for Chelsea again. Um, 11 million uh, loan fee for the rest of the season. Um, and like I said, he looks like the real deal. Um, the good news is, for us at least, is that every report is pointing at um, the possibility of Chelsea making the deal permanent this summer. Sam, your thoughts on that? That would be awesome. I mean, we... Where, again, like, how we'll, we'll, do you go, transfer fee-wise? Because don't forget, he was sold for about $100 million. More. Um, I think his transfer fee was like... Under twenty. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'd say like 60 to 70 million was probably like the range that I would think would end up being the price. That's kind of like the price that like Mudrick went for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and, you know, there's definitely no way that Atletico is going to recoup the full amount, but I don't think anyone expects that, but I could see like 60 to 70 and you know, I know we've been spending like crazy, um, but, you know, that's just how it is nowadays. And Andres, before you tap in and just kind of add to that, um, it should be noted that before he signed with us on loan, he signed an extension at Athleti um, to kind of help them with their books. But it does add another year to the contract. And as we all know, when it comes to business and sports, another year on a contract usually means that that team can probably recoup a larger sum for that player. So, Andres, if if we're going to go out and purchase him, what's what kind of figure do you think is realistic? I think Sam's on the money. I think it's one of those things where it it was a 
sort of you help me help you. So Atletico and Jao came to terms like back in October that he wanted out. Like right before he went to the World Cup. Owners were like, yeah, player. I tried talking to the player. He wants out. We understand that. We're going to see what we can do. Then Zhao goes in and extends his contract just to help them continue their payments to Benfica in a in a less harsh way. The, the whole amortization thing, like the word of the window. And they're still trying to show good faith. Like they're planning on selling Zhao Felix in the summer. And then reports like Simon Johnson and all these guys are saying that Felix loves it at Chelsea already. So we have a great relationship with Atletico Madrid when it comes to transfers. Diego Costa, we loaned them to Ivo Courtois when they won the league. Felipe Luis, we loaned Saul. Like, there's a, what's that? Morata as well. We, we sent Morata their way. So it's one of those things where the relationship is there. I don't think this is going to become another crazy long saga. I really think that by the time summer comes around, we're already going to know what the fee is. Sort of how we knew we were going to be paying forty million for Kovacic before we kept him for good. So and that was yeah. that was that was built into the loan deal, right? No, so the oh, Kovacic you're right, you're one right. because we were banned, uh, right? Yeah, but he yeah, was yeah. still under contract. We were able to negotiate keeping him permanently, so it was a little bit different. But yeah, uh, yeah, and don't forget, we've already paid eleven million euros or pounds. I don't know what it is um, for the for the loan to begin with. So. I think I'd like to think that that would be like, you know, factored Part of the into, fee. Yeah. Yeah. Factored into like how much we're going to pay. It's like, look, we've that 11 million is probably that extra year. That extra yeah. year his contract is just that 11 yeah. million. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think, I think that's a fair price. But regardless, even if Athletic do play some hardball, assuming that Joao Felix is the right fit for the team. I mean, I'd be willing to go back up close to $100 million to, to lock him down if, that's a big if, if he's able to continue the form that we saw against Fulham. You know, spraying passes out wide, creating chances left, right, and center. I mean, he looked like a world beater. Um, our next signing is uh, Noni Madueki, uh, English U21, signed from PSV for £35 million. I don't know if it's Madueke or Madueke. Madueke, yeah. Madueke, Madueke, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's really not much that we know about the guy. He's been injured for most of this season. He's left-footed, likes to cut inside. He seems to be like a, a pretty tall, lanky winger. Um, this one really strikes me as a Cho replacement more than anything. I mean, he fits the homegrown quota. There's low risk, high reward in terms of you got an English attacker at a relatively cheap price who's at 21 years old, who has a pretty damn high ceiling, according to everything that I've been reading and seeing. Uh, am I alone here in thinking that maybe, obviously I don't think he's going to be in the starting 11 right off the bat, but he, it looks to me like he's going to be a squad player in the way that Cho was, but maybe has a potential to be more effective. Andres? Yeah, I I think once Cho left her buyer Leverkusen, that was goodbyes. I never thought that meant he was going to get another chance. I really thought that was like, hey, go show yourself so we can sell you. To me, this is just putting a little bit of pressure on Sterling. Don't get too complacent because there's another young gun coming and you know the project is leaning young. So to me, it's more of a wake-up call to who is supposed to be our alpha in the attack in Sterling. So 
he is for sure a squad player in my mind. I don't think he'll start right away, but he'll be a great sort of boost of energy to bring off the bench. I mean, the guy's got a cannon of a left foot, and he's pretty direct. Another kind of tricky dribbler. So it's the profile of what we're going for. I, I really like the signing as well. Opportunistic for sure. Tommy muted. Sorry, <laughs> I was unmuted and then I muted myself. Um, but I've already said my piece on him on yeah. the episode that we uh, when we actually signed him. So okay, nothing else. Um, yeah. Next up, we have Malo Gusto. We finally bought a right back. Um, except and then we... <laughs> he's not coming until the summer. <laughs> um, 19-year-old, uh, bottom from Lyon, about 35 million euros. To be honest with you guys, I don't know too much about the kid. I haven't had the chance to really dive in and see what his game is about. From what I understand, he seems like a more attack-minded fullback in the mold of Aris James um, without the physicality. Um, Andres, do you have any other info you want to sprinkle on top of him, or is it just kind of we got to wait and see what we're working with? Our board considers him the top U20 right back in all of Europe. So this fits into, once again, that Project 2030 move. The big conversation here is that, oh, should Grant Potter try to get flexible in formations? It means that Reese James can be deployed as a right center back uh, with Malagusta uh, playing right wing back. But again, the point here is, is that he's young and he's okay with splitting time with Reese James. And we can give Reese James a little bit of a break here and there so that he doesn't go missing for two months. So it's one of those yeah. things where kind of how Liverpool and their prime had, uh, what's it called? Robert Robertson. Simicast was a good sort of like a plus B tech sort of thing where it's same profile, definitely not as high skilled, but the team will perform the exact same way when he's on the pitch. So I really like this signing. I think at this point, 35 million for a solid backup is the going rate in Europe. So I don't think we overpaid at all for a kid that signed a seven year deal. So. And Malo Gusto in Spanish, that translates to bad like, right? Bad taste. Bad taste. Gusto? Like me gusto. Gusto. I guess it depends. Gusta is to like something. Me gusta, you know? Past exactly. tense of I liked, me gusto. Exactly. Bad liked. That's what I thought. Gusto means taste also? Wow. Yeah, like gusto. Like how English say, like, oh, gusto. It's like technically just the same word. I've never heard that phrase before. Yeah. I'll be ignorant. Um, next up, we have uh, Jimmy J. Morgan. Hell of a name there. Um, South Jimmy Hampton John. Wonder, He's I'm the captain's son. I'm calling him Jimmy John Morgan. Jimmy John. Oh, he's the captain's son, Captain Morgan. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, so uh, Jimmy J. Morgan, uh, our last signing of the window. Did he come? Did he? Did we announce him after Enzo? I think so. I think it came out after Enzo. I don't, even think, we Enzo. I don't well, even think we formally announced him. Well, well, he's going well, straight well, to the academy. When I say we announced, I mean uh, we got Fabrizio the. Here we go. Tweeted. Here yeah. we go, guys. Yeah. Yes. So um, three million transfer fee. Could be up to six million. Um, one of our academy youngsters, a striker, Junson Sabel, left and joined um, they who shall not be named, the team that never wins any trophies ever, ever. Um, but yeah, 
to me, it seems like three million. It's pretty self-explanatory. Extremely low risk. I really don't see how this can be a bad deal for us in the long run, boys. And the the best part about it is that we once again beat out Arsenal to get to him because <laughs> he was a target of theirs, and just like we did with Mikhailo Mudrik, we hijacked the and Joao Felix <laughs> and Joao Felix. Yeah, hey, maybe those guys just don't get hyped up to stick figures and cheesy stories before the games. And light bulb. Maybe that's why they came to Chelsea. Um, no, but the one thing on him is that he's 17 and has been playing for Southampton's U21 side. So he's kind of got a bit of that Lewis Hall sort of thing where you're playing up with the, not the big boys, but like the older team, like the the oldest team in your academy. So hopefully big boys. And we we won't see this kid for another three, four years. So we'll see. (laughs) And finally, the moment we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Enzo Fernandez. Yeah. Argentine international. Yeah. World Cup winner. Young player of the tournament. Young player of the tournament. Scored one of the prettiest goals of the tournament. Um, Look, guys. This has been a clusterfuck of a saga. Um, I'll just kind of start from the beginning and go through the timeline here. And and keep in mind, this is the shortened version. Um, Chelsea's initial bid came in in early January because Benfica said that they didn't want to make a deal late in the window. Um, However, Chelsea's bid fell short of Benfica's 120 million fee, even though he agreed to join Chelsea. So the rumors were going around that Chelsea was ready to pay the 120 million. It later came out that we only bid around 80. Benfica told us to walk away, so we did. Um, their president, Rui Costa, who is a royal cunt and a royal pain in the ass, said no. And uh, their head coach doubled down, stating that Enzo would remain at Benfica through the summer. This is about mid-January. We all think the deal is done and dusted. After getting rejected initially for the Enzo deal, we looked at our, our, our alternatives Hence the Caicedo rumors, the McAllister rumors, the Onana rumors. Uh, it came Actual out later Onana today did. that we, inqu- we inquired about Nicolo Barea. A um, couple other players on that list that aren't named here. Andres, sorry, what did you say? We actually bid for Onana, and he said, no thanks. Like I like the project, but I'm going to stay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the point being, um, we looked at, our, at all the alternatives, um, or many of them at the very least. None of them works out. Um, then Chelsea sells Jorginho. And all of our ears perk up. Now all of a sudden we're back with two or three days left in the window. Willing to pay $120 million. Benfica agrees. We're doing it in installments. I believe the first installment is about €40 million. Euros. The main mm-hmm. thing here that should be stated, Psalm, shout out to your people, all my Persians. You guys oh. just don't know what the word no means you don't take no for an answer and i fucking love it that's why enzo is a chelsea player now um bedotic bali went down there himself to portugal to get the deal done um apparently he was the one that was being a stickler in the deal and wasn't backing down insisting that it gets done um so much so that they even flew the chelsea's medical team out to portugal so enzo could do his medical there should the deal wind up um not being finalized so the last minute which actually turned out to be the case. They delayed their flight home like five times. 
I'm just going to say this before I pass it off to you guys. He is my new favorite Chelsea player, and he hasn't even kicked the ball yet. Andres, I'll start <laughs> with you. Uh, well, first, I want to say we actually knew that the negotiations for uh, Enzo were going on before we even knew we were going to sell Jorginho. Like, we went into the weekend because I texted you guys like, hey, guys, we may need to record on Monday. And Jorginho got sold Tuesday, going into Monday. Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Like, the rumors were out, like, Jorginho may go to Arsenal. They're interested. And then I woke up Tuesday morning to the picture of him in the kit and everything. So that moment is when I was like, shit, Bolian Bedad cannot come back empty-handed because Jorginho whether you like him or not, is the only center mid that ever stays healthy. So at that point, I was like, these boys need to get this shit done. Uh, Zach, I am with you to an extent. I am extremely hyped about this. I think that it. I want him to start so bad on Friday. He's been playing. He like hasn't missed Benfica matches. So it's kind of like the Jao Felix situation where Jao Felix was kind of slotted in right away. I'm ecstatic. I know that I think people are, I know some you're, you're uh, apprehensive on the price, but again, eight year deal. It it's, comes down to something like 12.6 million a year after the 40 mil. So thank you, Jorginho, who we'll talk about later. Your last six months of your contract paid for the next year of Enzo Fernandez. I have spent the last two days watching old I went to old videos of people analyzing and telling me about Enzo. I was looking at people that were talking about him from River Plate to Benfica and while he was at Benfica pre-World Cup because I didn't want to fall into the Chelsea fan like bias of Chelsea fans scouting him. And basically the comparisons are a more aggressive Xavi, a more aggressive Tony Kroos, a guy that's going to be commanding to have the ball to to have everything go through him between the defensive line and the attack he is a switch machine so reese james and ben chilwer are going to absolutely love this man and it's just one of those things where i'm ready to have a true true box-to-box machine like we have not had a player like this in so long like i can't even Think of the last play. Like, we're talking Ancelotti era. Like, no, because Fabregas wasn't a scoring threat. So, so that's the thing. Like, Fabregas Ooh. can give you the passing. We're talking about a guy that's going to also pitch into shooting and, and taking a rip from distance here and there. So it's even more so in terms of, like, what he can evolve into. The profile should give us more than just the, the dimes is what I'm getting at. I don't know, man. That that all sounds wonderful. I mean, if that if that comes to fruition, he's worth every fucking penny. 120 million is not even enough. A more aggressive Chavi, a more aggressive Tony Cruz, my God. In I the think, defensive uh, phase, that's what I meant. In the defensive yeah, defensive. No, no, yeah, right. I, I was going to say. I understand that. He has a little bit of everything, kind of like you touched on. I, I think out of all the signings that we made in this transfer window, he granted he only, what, 21? He's probably the most complete player that we signed, just in terms of what he's able to offer. He can play any of the three midfield positions. 
He played straight up DM slash ball winner uh, slash disruptor for Argentina. He could play the eight or the 10 for Benfica. He has a long shot on him. The ability to play short one touch passing. He could play the long ball, wins tackles, physical energizer bunny. And I think he's going to be our primary shithouser. He's going to fill the void that Rudiger 100%. left. 100%. So I mean that's I mean that that's just the Argentinian way, isn't it? Like you you come in, you don't just play football. You have to rile everybody else up on the pitch too. And he's going to draw a lot of yellow cards. He's going to draw a lot of, and he's going to cause a big fuss in terms of getting in other players' faces and chest bumps and this and that and whatnot. But we need it. I think just it's not just the profile of player that he is, but it's actually the profile of personality also. I think that's the more important thing here is like, we don't have a midfielder that will just say, fuck you. And will stick their middle finger up in front of the other team's face and go sliding in studs up the very next play. And, and Enzo is that guy. And it's good to say like, he has that bite, but he had no red cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not, not studs up, please. No, not, not, not a John Felix moment, but like to go back to <laughs> it, like we're talking about, like I, I have his FB ref pulled up just like, this is compared to all midfielders across Europe, and this includes Champions League, if I'm not mistaken. But he's in the 96th percentile for center mids for XG non-penalty, 93rd percentage for shots per game with two, 95th percentage for assists with 0.26. Uh, what else? 99th percentile for passes attempted. He's almost averaging 99 passes a game. 99th percentage for progressive passes. He he create he tries to go for nine point five per game, um, and then eighty two percent off for tackles when he's not even a DM. So like this guy is gonna literally be a commander in midfield. Like that is his profile. He is not a regista. He is not a deep lying playmaker. He's gonna give you a little bit of everything. So again, I get that. I think people are hung up on like the price tag because at the end of the day, like usually you want the ready made player in his prime. But we're also locking him in before the big boys come and fight, right? Like we were paying the, the essentially the release, and, and we're paying it in installments now. So it's just one of those things where, like, we just had to beat everyone to the punch and get him in across the line now. And and now it's just up to Potter and the coaching staff to get him clicking right away. I mean, I said it before we recorded. Um, I'd want to see him play in some sort of midfield three with Zakaria plus one of either a Gallagher, Kovacic, or a Mount. Um, but he, you seem to think that a four two three one might be a little bit more feasible. Um, yeah. So where so exactly? Like, I mean, I, I know he's versatile as a player, and he's probably going to fill a lot of roles, as especially going into next season if we have some injuries and whatnot. He's probably going to be playing there and everywhere. But primarily, I mean, where does he fit in the squad? Well, the last few matches we've been playing the 4-2-3-1. So that to start there. And at Benfica, he was playing as, I think, the left-sided player in the double pivot. And he's partnered by a straight-up DM that does the protecting of the back line, which lets him sort of go a little bit more forward. So he's in a double pivot. He... He can he does a little bit of both. Again, he splits like when when Benfica's in possession from the back, he does that deep run between the center backs to pull a, def- a midfielder. And if the ball gets out to the fullbacks, he gets back into midfield to get the ball back in his feet. 
but then he also pops into the edge of the box to sort of help with with sort of the, the final pass. So I, I think currently the way our team is built with what we have this very second, it's the four two three one. If in the summer we get a true DM, like and I'm talking like a straight up sitting back Declan Rice profile DM, maybe we can think of a midfield three. Uh, but right now, I have yet to see Potter deploy Zakaria as an actual six. Uh, every time that he's played in a double pivot, he seems to be more of like a Conte type that's pressuring from the front rather than sitting in the back. So I just don't see how we suddenly have, you know, a perfect midfield three balance. I think we're going to stick to the four, two, three, one. And on top of that, it allows him to have more offensive players in front of him that he can pass to. So. As of right now, with, with, with what we have, I strictly think it'll be four two three one. I I don't want to see him as a six. You have anything to add, okay. Saul? I think okay. So first of all, I think we're talking semantics at this point because a four two three one, as opposed to a four three three, which can have various you know or variations, it, it's it's still a three man midfield in my opinion, but one of them is playing more advanced. And instead of having a DM, you have the box-to-box. So I think it's still, you know, like, I mean, I, this is not really related to, you know, the Enzo Fernandez comment, but I just think that's, that you could still consider that a three-man midfield. But um, I want to go back to the transfer fee real quick because Benfica they bought him for 45 million euros like six months ago. That was around 17 or 18 from what I understood. No, No, they bought him 45 million euros. That's how much they paid for him. Look at transfer marked. I've, I've seen that number multiple times. I'm looking right now. Football transfers, 45 million. Um, and, uh, if if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think that's that's uh incorrect. I'll look it up on transfer market for me, please, while I'm answering this. So as far as the transfer fee goes for 120 million, like I think that sign from the initial buying from River Plate. Joined Benfica have... from River Plate in August for a reported fee of around ten million dollars. That's American dollars plus add-ons. So I don't know what that converts. Where do you to. see that? All right, then forget what I just said. I yeah. just think, so let's just say he is Ngolo Conte plus Chavi plus Kevin De Bruyne mixed into one. I'm down with Jorginho's old hairdo and his old number and his old number. Sorry, Ron. Um, so who are we most excited about? I mean, we kind of talked about all of the January incomings, at least for the first team. Who, who who strikes you as the most interesting signing not named Enzo Fernandez? Um, Andres, I'll let you start, and then I'll kind of chime in and pass it over to Song. To be completely honest, my most excitement is around this Andre Santos kid. I know we're not really going to see that for a while, but if, again, I'm thinking now next season and beyond, he is young enough and he's played – the six, the eight, and even a little bit more advanced to one of those like eight, 10 hybrids. If we mold him to be 
the more sitting center mid next to your Enzo or to sit in an actual true midfield three, I think that that guy could just be a monster. He apparently, according to that, was it Juninho said that this guy's like physical attributes are off the absolute charts. So I'm excited about his profile and what it may become because like Sam said, it's the first time in a long time we've even looked at a young super talent Brazilian. And if you look at the Brazilians like your Vinny or your Rodrigo, like those guys, Martinelli, even the jump from the new guy to, you know, being a top player can be so fast. And I just think that he's, he's the one I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on. I'm thinking more long-term than probably you guys are with this window. Sam, who's the most exciting outside of Enzo? Uh, I just looked up on transfer market. Transfer market says 45 million euros. So, boom. I don't know where you saw 10 million, but thank you very much. Yeah, probably some fake fake news. But well, is um, that did they is that what they gave River Plate because River Plate had a twenty five percent sell on clause? Because that's the, around the number. That's, that's yeah, reported it is. Today. Hold on, hold on, Andres, you're right. It is the sell on clause. The initial fee was ten million. The sell on clause they get twenty five percent of Chelsea's fee to Benfica. So they're getting twenty five percent of hundred six ish 107 million so that's another 20 million on top of the 10 good for him okay yeah so good the player I'm lo- oh yeah good River for them yeah. um i think the player i'm most excited for is mikhailo mudrik for sure um he i mean as far as just like his his cameo performance i've never been so impressed and excited by a way a, a player has looked um maybe since like Eden Hazard's debut um but uh which was wasn't the best debut but he still looked good um but I'm really excited for him and I think that's probably one of the one I'm most excited for yeah I agree with you I, I initially I would have said Ja Felix just because I kind of know what he offers and I know what he's going to bring um, but Mudrik was definitely a surprise. I thought we spent a lot of money on him initially, but after seeing his little cameo versus Liverpool, his first touch, his, his ability to play behind the line, um, making runs into the box, getting on the ends of crosses, things like that, and he looks like the real deal. It looks like our left side is going to be locked down for quite a while, so I'm excited about him, man. And 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 that's not dissing any of these other guys on the list. I mean, Badia Shield hit the ground running. Um, Fofana, there's a certain level of excitement I have to see him play. Um, you know, Madueke is another one there. Malo Gusto when he comes in. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but really quickly, I do kind of want to get into some Chelsea players. Um, well, the one that left recently, I guess we could just kind of jump into him, Jorginho. Um, he joined Arsenal for $11 million, as Andres said earlier. It pays for Enzo's first year of salary. Um, six months left on the contract at the time of the deal. Arteta's been an admirer for months. Um, and apparently he moved quickly. Arsenal gave up on Caicedo. Um, since Arteta and Jorginho had a friendly relationship before, the deal was relatively easy. Um, I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say, 
I'm not necessarily going to miss Jorginho. I don't think there's going to be a match this season where I'm going to be thinking to myself, fuck, I wish we had Jorginho. Um, but I will say that he's been an incredible servant of the club. Um, he's always going to be remembered as part of you know the um, Europa League winning and Champions League winning teams. And um, yeah, I'm going to miss the little hop, skip, and the pen, to be completely honest. But I think we're definitely leveling up here. Um, just a quick word on Jorginho from you guys. Sam, I'll start with you. Um, just tell me, are you sad? Are you happy? I'm, I'm devastated, to be honest. Like, like, like the same reason as you. I'm not going to, like, I am going to miss him. But I think you put it the best way. Like, there's not going to be a match where I think, damn, like, we really need Jorginho for today's match. But to see him go to Arsenal mid-season, and it really came out of nowhere. Like, I woke up. I, I woke up on the day that he got transferred at, like, 5 a.m. It was really early for me. And I saw like two hours ago there was a notification that the deal had been agreed to, and I'm like, "What? How is am I am I still asleep? Like, is this this is this can't be real?" So I don't know. I, I the when he posted his first picture of him in a in an Arsenal kit, I commented on it like the throw up emoji. Just because it's it's disgusting to see for me. Um, I think that <laughs> we're not an Arsenal podcast, but him alongside uh, Thomas Partey is going to be really good. That's going to be a really like that's exactly what he needs to get the best out of Jorginho, a player like him. So that's what makes me even more upset that it was a great buy for Arsenal. <laughs> Um, I'd love to see I'd love to see Arsenal line him and Jaka up together and put out the slowest <laughs> midfield of all time. That will be yeah, that would be one of the worst matches <laughs> to watch this season. Even if um, even if Zinchenko's inverted, that's gonna be a lot of running yeah. for everyone else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean another thing, how many languages does, does this guy speak? Because I saw a video of him. And uh, Mikel Arteta talking, they're talking in Spanish. This guy speaks English, <laughs> Portuguese, Italian, Spanish. And where where did he learn Spanish? He never played in Spain. Well, like, isn't Italian and Portuguese are both very similar to Spanish. Latin. So I guess it wouldn't be they're too Latin hard languages. for him to pick it up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, still, they're different languages. Yeah, I it's still know. different. I, I yeah. think that's pretty cool. Um, Do you speak Portuguese, Andreas, or Italian? No, but you know, okay, my you dad go. my dad does this thing where he like gets away with it. Like he know he picks up a couple phrases and then he just puts shit together and business partners are like, no shit, Luis. And then my dad's like, I'm fucking with you. That's as far as I go. Like, yeah. so you can get away with it. But yeah, the, the crazy thing is that the Arteta admiration actually goes back to when we first got Jorginho. Arteta's the one that was whispering in Pep's ear to sign Jorginho ahead of us. So mm -hmm. that's now talking five seasons back. So I honestly don't know. I, I've watched a decent amount of Arsenal because like Sam and I discussed the pod or two ago, they're low-key exciting in terms of what they're putting out on the field. I just don't know if Jorginho's the right player because he does slow things down that's the thing he always did he was slow the tempo down bring back the control 
And that's the part that I'm going to miss, especially because we're not great at, at least so far, at scoring a lot of goals. So those last 20 minutes, just having a guy in midfield that can frustrate the shit out of a team that's trying to press you by essentially always having the next pass picked out uh, is a bummer. But in the long term, he was never going to sign another contract. And we're not going to win. We're not going to do anything crazy in the league. And I don't think him not being in the Champions League roster anymore is also that impactful. So I'd rather give the minutes to somebody who is not the final product right now. So it just made a lot of sense. 12 million for the last six months of a guy that's not the most athletic and is in his final legs for what the Premier League pace is, is not the worst. But it is a shame. You hate to see any player go to Arsenal. I've never enjoyed that. Hell, I didn't even like it when Willian went to Arsenal. I mean, I don't like it either, but Jorginho might be the first Chelsea player to ever go to Arsenal and actually win something. That's that's the part that gets me. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that everyone else goes and like plays mid. Like Czech was we haven't fine, seen, but he we didn't haven't, do anything. Well, Arsenal retired Peter Czech. They retired David Luiz. They almost retired William. How came back? He got his career back in Brazil and came back to England. <laughs> it's just and, so weird. and he's doing well. He's playing better yeah, with Fulham than balling. he ever did with with Arsenal. So yeah, he's balling at Fulham. Um, moving on really quickly, we do have Hakeem Ziyech's failed move to PSG. So as we know, on deadline day, PSG came in for Ziyech on a straight loan deal. Um, the player agreed. The clubs agreed. And apparently, Chelsea sent the wrong documentation three separate times, according to the Parisians. And according to Chelsea, they claim that we were having some technological issues, which is why the paperwork wasn't going through. Um, PSG appealed. The, the appeal was turned down officially today, um, and the move has officially fallen apart. Um, Andres, you're raising your hand. Go, go yeah, for it. Uh, there's three different ways of looking at this. On the ZS camp, I feel awful for the guy. He flew himself to Paris. He was trying to get everything done. I feel bad for him because we know that he also can see what's happening at Chelsea and that he's not part of the plans. This gave him a chance to play with Hakimi in a very, very good team. Feel for him. On the Chelsea side, this is a little embarrassing. I understand that the full focus was on Enzo and that that was very time-consuming and energy-consuming, but I find it extremely hard to believe that some sort of clerical intern can't send a fucking email correctly and that's just a bad look on chelsea after everything else in this window that was far more complicated was such a success Mm -hmm. and in the final bit psg i have zero pity for them honestly they had a full month if they wanted zs there's been no crazy injury to their right wing position that makes me think that Oh, well, this was an opportunistic thing. If they wanted Ziyech that bad, don't leave it to the last few hours. Even Fabrizio came out and said that. It's like, I don't understand why PSG waited so long when you know you have to rush things and make things happen almost unrealistically. So in terms of the PSG side of things, suck my dick. You waited till the very last second to try to get a very good player, and now you're going to blame us because you rushed us into it. Like, Wow. So, like, no, I have zero pity for one of the richest fucking clubs out there. They could have Andy's, easily gotten this done. Like, fuck we, his dick. Yeah. On, what's, the, what's the guy's name? Out, what's, huh? what's the Qatari guy's name? I'll, whatever his name is. He can come over here to the president, to Tomball, and then 
Yeah, Tomball, Texas. I'll be waiting for you. You know he won't do that. <laughs> they don't tolerate Nasser, that. Nasser El no. Khalifa. Yeah, that Rafi guy. But but Khalifi. for real, like we went in there and we're like, okay, we'll work with you. And then they wouldn't want to like the negotiations took far longer for it was a simple loan. And they made it even more complicated when they knew. And the whole yeah. world knew that the whole damn board was in Lisbon this mentally. Is, this is this is my thing. PSG can't go causing a hissy fit and you know basically acting like a bunch of little bitches about this. If like you said, if they didn't come in on the last day of the window, then they have an argument. Even if they came in a week ago, they have it an could argument. Have been yesterday. It could have been they two days. They came in the last twenty-four hours knowing damn well that all of our concerted efforts were going towards that Enzo deal. And had been for 48 hours. Nobody's, yeah, and, and that's, the, that, that's the thing. So, like, it's, it, it's not like they just hit us up, we agreed on a deal, and some shitty intern just couldn't send an email. No. All signs are pointing to PSG inquiring extremely late about this deal, Chelsea holding off on giving them an answer until they finalized the Enzo deal. Um, and then by that time, it was probably just too late. But I just find it funny that the club, who is essentially state-funded, who is paying Mbappe damn near a million dollars a fucking week, on top of paying guys like Messi, Neymar, Sergio Ramos, Marquinhos, Verratti, the list goes on and on and on, Donnarumma, Hakimi, yet they're complaining that they can't get this guy? Like, what, you can't win the fucking French League? without Hakeem Ziyech, like having Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe isn't enough. And, and, and here's the other thing. If you think that's funny, how about them getting Ziyech for their Champions League push? Because I've seen that on the internet a lot. It's like, oh, they were getting him for the Champions League. Ziyech has been good in the Champions League. Who are you going to start Ziyech over? <laughs> Can yeah. you just – oh, wait, wait, you're going to bench Messi? You're going to – oh, Messi's not going to play start at <laughs> right wing. We're going to bring him off the bench as a fucking super sub. Like, get over yeah. yourselves. This was a luxury signing that went wrong. Those are facts. And that's all there is to it. So PSG will have the opportunity to get another luxury signing later on. And that's that. I mean, Assam, go for it. Sorry. Sorry, I just have, I have three things I want to say. First, Todd Bowley, you should have hired my firm to handle this. We wouldn't have messed up on the paperwork. <laughs> we would have gone the deal done immediately. <laughs> We don't mess up on paperwork. That's that's a rookie mistake. Uh, you always have to hire good lawyers. Second, um, the the you guys are saying we weren't sure whether we wanted to move from Ziash until the Enzo thing was done. I think those those were not related at all. They shouldn't have been related at all. Like I think. Those are two completely separate positions, obviously. Like, we could have loaned out Ziyech without getting Fernandez, and nothing would have happened. No, right. No, I don't think... I, I'm saying is that the... I think, like, I think that was Zach The Vell, uh, with Stanley, Iqbali, and Boley are all on conference calls and, and meetings, so it's like... Yeah, TSG I get coming that. In and that. That's all I was saying. It's just the fact that you're trying to pull our attention from the big fucking move and and that's where i think it kind of went south for yeah the attention thing but yeah that's all i was referring to is like i mean the second i heard that Igbali hopped on a plane and was actually going there in person i'm thinking all right this is the last deal of the window like this is this is it so 
can yeah. see how their heads could in turn and more focused on one deal over the other. I'm not saying that that's an excuse to let us off the hook for the Ziyech thing. I do think that we fucked up somewhere along the line. I'm not denying that whatsoever. But at the end of the day, is this really going to make or break PSG season? And for PSG, there's better... PSG? Well, 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 here's the thing. PSG better tread carefully because there's reports and all this and that going around that they don't want to deal with us and they don't want us. I saw something that said they don't want us to. They don't. We don't. They don't want us to stain their doorstep again or something along those lines. Yes. I guess it's some weird French saying for uh, another way of saying that I'm extremely butthurt about something that's not a very big deal. Um, but I, I think PSG needs to. They need to tread carefully here because. This is a relationship with a new board of directors that they don't know how they react to people talking shit about them. We, for, from PSG's standpoint, you know, for all we know, Chelsea could say, you know what, fuck you. We're not going to do business with you anymore because you're talking shit now. And if that's the case, then they don't pull off a transfer like a David Luiz. And they don't pull off a transfer like a Hakeem Ziyech or a would-be Hakeem Ziyech. So I think the joke's on them at the end of the day, honestly. It's just uh, one of those things where we're like, our bad. And we move, move on. And I think PSG will move on too because they still have Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. But Why the third point, PSG? yeah, the third point is how do we reconcile that? I like Ziesh is is pissed yeah. off. Um, I and deservedly so. He was apparently he was left stranded. In the PSG office, which is like those are Fabrizio's words. The man I know. Wrong. It was like it was like it was like uh, what's that movie called? Uh, Night at the Museum. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he, gets, he gets locked in. Everyone's gone. The lights are all <laughs> off, and he's like, the door's locked. He's like, oh no, I'm stuck in here for the night. <laughs> and uh, but uh, it's a good point, though. So how do we bring him back? How do we bring him back? For the rest of the season, realistically, and and play him like we all we yeah. were at the point earlier in the season where it was like we don't want to see this guy on the pitch again. Then after the World Cup, he started playing well, and I was like, oh okay, I, like I, I don't mind him playing again. And now we're at the point where it's like, does he even want to come back? It's right. a really I don't I have no idea how that's gonna work. Whether they'll even tr- like bother bringing him back, knowing that he probably doesn't want to play for us right now, but who knows? I'm, I'm interested to see how that how that works out. There's there's two scenarios here. Scenario number one is that the rumor of Besiktas being interested is true, and he gets the quick loan to Besiktas. Oh, poor guy, man. Going because that's because <laughs> that's their window's not closed yet. And then option number two. Let me take you guys back to the fall when every single week Zach reminded us of the doctorate or PhD or master's that Graham Potter has in mental intelligence. Emotional or intelligence. Thank Emotional you, intelligence, Andres. Emotional intelligence because... Something I've been having very, uh, many, many times. <laughs> By my <laughs> wife. <laughs> <laughs> the, the concern I have is... First and foremost, now Ziyech, right? Like, there is now three people fighting for right wing time, and and you could even argue that even Jao Felix can play in the right wing, and even Mount can play sometimes in the right wing. So that is a crowded spot on the pitch. But 
it's not just Ziyech. Like we were able to move Jorginho, but players are coming back and they're getting healthy. So this this mental intelligence and and how we're going to keep this massive of a squad happy. On top of that, certain January signings won't get to touch the Champions League at all. It's it's going to be a bit of a, a shit show. I, I I do not envy the board or the coaching staff on how they're going to keep such a massive locker room just completely happy. It's going to be tough. I hope some way, somehow, Ziyech gets a move to maybe a lower league if if that's what he wants to do just to play. But, yeah, the guy that got the short end on the stick is, is Ziyech, unfortunately. And he's not the only player who lost out on the loan deal because of this. Omari Hutchison, yeah. he, we agreed to a deal to send him over to West Brom, I think, and that fell through too. So West Brom actually pulled out and got Mark Albrighton of all people. So that one, so that, that wasn't, wasn't on us. Through. No, but what was on us though is that Wigan came in and they're like, "We'll take him," and then we fucked that one up. <laughs> Wigan, right? Okay, yeah. So we so, fucked that one up, and then the Javi Simmons, Javi Simmons was trying to get his deal to Hull become a permanent, and we fucked that one up too. So he's just gonna have to do a pre-contract and sign with them come summer. Not well, a great look for the Chelsea board, honestly. Not a great look. After all the deals we pulled off, I think we could afford a few mistakes and still look pretty it, damn good. It just could have been like a 10-10 in all aspects. How the world sees you. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm cool with pissing everyone off because we made signings. I'm not cool with pissing people off because we fucked them over. Well, how many of these yeah. technical directors are going to be there in seven and a half or eight years when these players' contracts run out and we need replacements? Um, one deal we're not fucking up on is Thiago Silva. Um, according to him, uh, he's in contract talks with Chelsea to extend for another year. Um, I think we could all sit here and agree that it is very well deserved. I'm just going to read off his quote really quickly and tell me after I read this that you don't love him. He says, we're negotiating. It will probably happen in the next days. My plan is to continue at Chelsea and Chelsea want to continue with me. Chelsea need me with the rebuilding of the club. Here I am. I built this man a fucking statue. I'm obsessed with him. I'm fucking obsessed with Thiago Silva. God, if there's one player in Chelsea, as Andres turns around in his chair, sporting the uh, third kit for this season with Thiago Silva's name on the back. um, I think that's pretty much all we could say. We're all happy that he's going to re-sign. Very well deserved. It's a must. Loved him before that quote, and I love him just even as much more. after. <laughs> even, even more. Well, um, like you guys mentioned earlier, we do have to tip our hats to Todd Bowley and Bed Bali for what they did um, in terms of not only making the signings happen, but um, figuring out this loophole with financial fair play in UEFA um, with the whole amortization and um, long contracts that we've been giving these players. So this is where I pass it off to Andres. Explain this amortization and why Chelsea are able to pull these deals off while wading through the waters of FFB. So first off, Boli and Igbali like came in and I remember like the first thing that everyone was like focused on was like, oh, they pitched a four four three and like the side of football, they had no fucking clue what they were talking about. I still don't even really know if they do. 
but they said that they knew the ins and outs of FFP. And I guess they're the new guys on the block and they decided to do the things their own way because FIFA, as an organization, they have a rule in place. It's kind of like a federal government versus state government. FIFA has a rule that says like, hey, it should be five-year deals. That way young players can't be shackled into these like insane contracts against their will and, and, and have no chance to ever play. But they also have a subsection or something along those lines where it says that the individual leagues have to implement this rule and, and actually execute this to, to be a formal rule. And the Premier League simply doesn't have that. It's more of a, that's just the way things have always been done. And you rarely see contracts longer than five years. In come Bully and Igbali, and they find out that it turns out that your transfer fees are actually just to be paid across the length of your contracts. And that's where this winter window comes in, and we start seeing seven and a half year deals, eight year deals. It started started with Reese James and Fofana, and it went through the whole January process. We signed an average age of 20-year-old players all month, and they're all tied to at least seven years. So, for example, Enzo, it's a 40 million up front, but we're only paying 12 mil per summer, and that's how the accounting books will see it. So even though it was 120 million total, FFP doesn't see 120 million total. Now, how can we balance that off? Every sale of a player comes into the accounting books as a full total amount. So a few sales can get us all the money we spent back. So the numbers we see of how many, how much money we've spent, it's the grand total that Chelsea will eventually have to pay for all these players. But the reality is, is that that number is probably about a third of what's being reported because of the whole amortization thing. So your body is shield. He's on 35 million for total, but he's here for 75, seven and a half years. So he's really about $5 million a year. And that's how we were able to sign essentially a whole new team in the span of two windows. I, I want to do the counterpoint of that because so you're saying it's spread over eight years, seven to eight years. Yep. And so this year it's reflected as, let's say, $80 million, right? Like yeah. we, we spent Just throw a number million. out there. Over the, isn't it true that over the next seven years we're gonna start every year, pretty much with eighty million dollars in the hole, and it's our responsibility to make that up through player sales. Sales? No, it's prof club profits. So you go win the cha- you go into the Champions League qualification. Your place on the table. All that money is income going into the club. So basically, like your weight, you can't be spending more on wages and transfers than what you're generating right and okay. so so it doesn't have it, to be just off off sale like no transfers. it just but you can't it's like something like tickets don't count and like certain things don't count towards it but sponsorships can and at the end of this season we're getting both a new t-shirt uh, main kit sponsor and new arm sleeve sponsor and i think tottenham just got somebody for something like 60 million which means that we're probably going to get someone even bigger for an arm sleeve than that. So little things like that come in. And and the other part is, is that the wages are also involved in FFP and they've changed our wage structure to a more base salary plus incentives. So for example, yeah. if, 
Grealish is probably close to 300k because his transfer fee was 100 plus. Enzo is reportedly on like 115k per week, which is far less. It's less than RLC. It's less than Cho, and he is our marquee player at the top at the, as of right now. So the chances are, and this is probably this is I think this is a definite thing. These contracts are going to be renegotiated before the end of them. You know, like we're we're going right. to definitely give them a pay increase. And that's the other part. You can definitely give them increases without. This is where the genius comes in. We are not going to get um, shackled into a player going into the final year of their deal and not knowing if he's going to stay. Like the Rudiger and Christensen situation will never happen again. These guys are here for eight, seven years. If they want to leave, let's say, let's say Enzo, let's say Enzo balls out for three years and Madrid comes calling and they're giving us 250 million and Enzo's like, guys, I, my dream's to go to Madrid. It's like, bet you have four fuck more off. years no. left oh, in no, this contract. No, 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 but uh, <laughs> hold on. They give us 300 million because Enzo has okay. four years left. So therefore we can ask for far more than we ever paid for these guys. Let's say, oh, um, Maybe the player didn't work out. Maybe he's not as good as we thought he'd be. Well, they're all 20. So if they don't ball right away, we can loan them out and then come back. And it's still profitable. So I think, yes, there's a risk because they are all young players. You don't know what they're going to turn into. But financially speaking, I don't see how Chelsea ever lose on this. Like I said, Andre Santos hasn't even touched the pitch for Chelsea. And I assure you, his value has gone up at least 10 million. So we are protecting ourselves from a player maybe being unhappy and wanting to leave and other clubs snapping him up at a discount by having them here in these, you know, long contracts. We can't predict seven years into the future, but if three years comes and Body Ashield wants to leave, sorry, yeah. you're going to have to pay because he's got a four year, four years remaining. So I think this is a stroke of genius. And on top of that, UEFA has come out and said they're going to change the rules. Because the fact that nobody did this before, they didn't think this was possible. And now they're like, well, this can really fuck up the small teams in the long run. So everyone that cried that Chelsea's fucking up Europe and fucking up world football, you, you played yourselves. Because now the rules are going to be five-year deals. And guess who's still winning in all this? We are, because we got the deals done this January. It's crazy to me that no one has tried this before. Like, this is like such a common practice among american like, sports uh, or not just american sports private equity funds like mutual funds like the way that you know they make they make purchases or they they, they buy companies and the way that they're reflected on their books like the amort the amortization schedules that they create for like depreciating assets and stuff um i mean i i feel like like is there not a more financial like background owner out there in, in European football. I guess not. I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's like it's the old guard. Me. I think yeah. it's the old old school. This is how it's always been done, you know? And I think nobody True. took the time. Like Roman Abramovich promised us he would put us in good hands. And if you're not on board with this board after what they've done in the past two windows, I, I don't know what to tell you anymore. I think the summer had a few mistakes. Like Koulibaly might have been, you know, oh, Tuchel, here's the guy you wanted. And Aubameyang, obviously, here you go, Tuchel, and now you regret that. But 
one year's worth of windows and these guys completely understand the financial landscape that is football versus american sports and it's i'm we're blessed like we are blessed yeah they figured it out yeah i mean i agree with you guys i think i think the jokes on the rest of europe for being pissed off just like the jokes on psg about the zs transfer the rest of Europe couldn't figure this out, and then Bali and Boli come in, and they're like, oh, we're going to do it this way. So that just shows you how savvy they are as businessmen in general. Um, but anyways, um, we did kind of talk about this already, but I do want to mention it because she is a first-time uh, question asker, I guess, for lack not, of a better word. Not just first-time question asker, first-time tweeter. Dang, was- Sam is outing her right now. No, how's that outing? That's I, I feel special. I looked at her account. This was her first ever tweet. Was a question in the blues to the blues on parade podcast. I'm honored. We are all honored. Right. Um. At, at Sophie Bikes, what's up, Sophie? She asks thoughts on the sheer amount of money spent this window. Kind of crazy, not going to lie. So the money she's referring to is the total fees combined. And this is assuming that all of the bonuses and incentives are met. 338.5 million euros in total. Pretty wild. Um, I think I could speak for all of us when I say that we're very happy about the amount of money that we're spending. And apparently uh, we're not done yet. Jacob Steinberg said that somebody close to the board heard whispers that Bully still wants a marquee signing and that this next window is also going to be heavy in spending. Fucking insane. Uh, insane. Um, but yeah, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about, you know, how we feel about ownership now. Andres, you said earlier, if you don't like the ownership now, I don't know really what to tell you. I kind of agree with that. I think I think the incentive, I think the the drive, I think the vision, everything is becoming more and more clear now in terms of what they want to do. They want to clear out all of the deadwood, a lot of the older contracts that are on bigger money that aren't incentivized, and they're going to bring in younger players on less money with incentivized contracts to give them the motivation that they need to play better. And also they're giving them more long-term deals as well, which in turn is going to help us turn those players for a profit should they not work out at Chelsea or want to move sometime later down in their career. Um, But more so, I want to talk about Graham Potter because apparently the guy was really involved in this process. Um, So I think in general, Chelsea fans should have a different tune in regards to Graham Potter because this isn't the first time this window that we've heard a player has spoken with him and they like what they hear. We heard that with Mudrik. We heard that with Joao Felix. Now we're hearing the same thing about Enzo Fernandez. So there's something about the way Potter is able to communicate his ideas to these players that helps Chelsea be, look even more appealing. Um, what, do, what do we think about that? So I'll start with you. Look, the whole spending thing. Like, we hate it when Man City does it. We hate it when PSG does it. We hate it when Man United does it. I, I don't want to be uh, hypocritical and like celebrate Chelsea doing the same thing that we hate other teams for doing. I, and I get it. At one point, 
that is what Chelsea was. Chelsea, like, I think they really started, like, the big spending, like, buying a whole team kind of movement um, when when Roman initially bought the club. Um, and, yeah, I'm I'm, like, you can look at a team like Arsenal. Like, right now, obviously... Well, let's 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 just throw out this year. Before this year, they had owners who, you know, were more interested in renovating their stadium and getting more more money in that way than they were on spending uh, and getting more players to help the team. So, in that sense, I'm really happy with the priorities of ownership. Like, you know that they don't they didn't buy Chelsea to make money and yeah obviously down the line that, that that's going to be a big part of it but they are also in here because they want to win they're they're very competitive they have that competitive nature in them and you can see that that's the reason why they're spending all this money they're trying to build a long-term team um they they see the you know the mistakes that were made in the last reign um you know, you, you compiled by the transfer ban, panic buys, bad contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like we're trying to fix all of that, and I'm really happy about all that. I don't know how much credit to give Graham Potter, um, because I just don't know necessarily how much of a uh influence he was, but. I mean, these guys aren't going, you know, like you could, you could think on one end, like how are these guys going to say no to playing for Chelsea when we're going to be paying them more than other teams will? I'm talking about like the players' salaries, but yeah, they also, they do have to buy into the system, you know, they're, they're signing long-term contracts so they have to envision themselves being there for, you know, five, six, seven years. And if they didn't buy in, then they wouldn't have came. Um, especially with the season we're having this season. I mean, we're sitting 10th place. We're, we're, we look like shit right now. So the fact that we're able to convince these guys to come, he's, he, he has to have said something. Yeah, I, I, think you're, I think he has to. He has to have said something. I think because we're in 10th place. We have discussed now that we took a couple players from Arsenal who are top of the league. So something has to have been said about what Chelsea's trying to do. The thing that impressed me the most is the rate at which this project has taken off. I did not expect that the roster rebuild to happen over two windows. Like we can now starting in the summer be happy with like two signings per window because the the core group in theory is here and Mm -hmm. and we don't need another window with 10 players we don't need to to be panicked to think shit chelsea to be good need five more players again all in theory but we just talked about what eight nine new names that's insane to accomplish in in a full year, let alone one window, and and again, so I'm mentioning the plans for the stadiums will come. 
but the owners are doing it the right way. Let's make the team successful so that when we do have to like make changes to the stadium, we're still bringing in the money. You know, we're we're aiming to get back into the top four, get that Champions League bonus. I know they're I mean, we've seen already a lot of difference in our, our social media team. So they're trying to get, you know, better in, in all aspects of the game and, and, and get more money in. And then we can worry about the big chunk of money that's going to go into a stadium once we're settled in terms of what's happening on the pitch. So the, the vision of of what needs to be done now versus what can wait till tomorrow and and that tomorrow just being around the corner. I Again, I did not think our our starting 11 in theory is almost complete after just one actual window of a board. And we still don't even have a DOF. Like we do not have a director of football. I bet you the homie that's taking a break that used to be with Liverpool can't wait to come back. So that guy, if he's still our top target Gard- is coming garden- in. Gardening leave. Is that the what you guy, mean? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I don't remember what it, I remember that was the term. I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> I know. I, I love that term now. Leave. But, but the big man, the guy that made Liverpool successful, yes. now he's gone and they're in eighth place. That guy, I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to come, champing at the bit to come join us. But again, months ago in the summer, we were told that American owners weren't going to spend. Then we were told that, you know, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. And now they're making UEFA change their rules. They have spent more money than all of Europe combined this window and this year they broke every spending record and lo and behold they've been smarter signings than what our past board who had quote-unquote football people ever did for us in the last five years so yeah i'm shocked in the most pleasant way with these guys and it's and again the board's not even fully built yet so yeah it's just I can't believe I'm this hyped about 10th place. <laughs> hey, yeah. 10th place? It does. The Champions League trophy. It doesn't sound too bad. It does feel like this is the beginning of something special, though, with all the pieces that we have now. And I do agree. I think in the future, we're not really going to have windows like this where there's, you know, seven, eight, nine incomings. It, it is very much so going to be adding a piece, two or three pieces each window to build a team but and definitely not a, a, a winter window a yeah. January window definitely not yeah yeah it's un- unheard of um but really quickly i know we're kind of running out of time here but um what current chelsea player benefits the most from this new crew of players i think that's something that's important that we need to touch on um i'll go ahead and i'll start i mean i think right off the bat reese james is going to be a big beneficiary here um when he is healthy, he seems to be our main creative threat. Um, even though he plays as a right back, you know, his ability to cross the ball and to finish has been crucial. He's won us many points this season. And then it seems like the way we play is conducive on his, uh, uh, upon his health, right? As long as he's healthy, we should be okay. But the problem is keeping him healthy. Now, I think taking a little bit off of his plate in terms of the attacking side of the game um, with the additions of Joao Felix, of, of Mudrik, of Madueke, I think that's really going to help him to um, you know, not really have to worry about the creative load and focus more on his defending. 
but also um, he's not really going to have to worry about tracking back too much should he push up because now he has cover in the likes of Enzo. Um, and now we have Body Shield playing next to Tiago Silva, who's shown that you know he's he's more than equipped um, to you know kind of cover for players when needed. So for me, the obvious ones: Reese James. I know there's plenty other names on the list, and we'll get to those. Um, Andres, what's what's one name that you see benefiting from all these signings? For me, it's Kai Havertz. We got to see 60 minutes of him and Jao Felix, and I think. That's the first time he's, as, as a nine at least, he's found someone that clicks with how he wants to play and how he can combine. I, I truly don't think him and Mount see eye to eye on what they want to do on the ball uh, in terms of combining with one another. So now Kai can look to his left and see lightning speed in Mudrick. He can look to his right and not only see... Raheem Sterling coming back, but sometimes it'll be Majueke and sometimes, and now, sorry, Reese James is back. And then if he wants to combine down the middle, he's got Zhao Felix. And on top of that, when he does decide to make a run, there's the chance that someone like Enzo can put in the long ball. And so if he does get the long ball, he'll have support, something he hasn't had, again, as the nine. So to me, I'm not saying Kai Havertz is going to score 20 goals, but I think... When he has the ball, he just has nowhere to go for it from there. And and now he's going to get the volume that a, a nine deserves to, perf- to, to perform. And he'll have the right squad around him to, to make sure that we can get the most out of our attack. I like, I like both of your answers. I don't, I, I don't really, I can't think of anyone else. So yeah, just get me on this. Well, um, I mean, what does the board need to do now? Striker. It has to be a striker, right? DM, a true DM. Um, I actually had a different view of this. I think the board needs to maximize the marketability of these players to make them think that there is no further move from Chelsea. Like, they need to make these guys realize that this is as good as it's going to get because like the premier league is calling like they're begging for a face of the league. And I think the opportunities there for Chelsea to have two, three of those players be the, the face of the, of what the premier league is like right now you have Harry Kane, who's on his, the back end of his time and in Holland, Holland is the only name, right? Salah, also probably going to slowly turn, you know, go back to, to being human. And so you got Enzo, you got Reese James. If Mason Mount can wake up, maybe it's Mason Mount. But I think the board needs to really take the marketing and, and all that to a new level to make these guys think like, nah, we're never leaving. Like, this is it. That's that's my big take on that. Like, I, I don't want to see these huge talents leave after a couple of years. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point because it doesn't matter how much we spend on these guys. If they're going to want to leave in two or three years and we're going to have to rinse and repeat the same exact process, window after window after window. So, yeah, but be, key to that, I think a key to marketability is winning, obviously. So yeah. 
depending how these guys mesh. And I think this is where Graham Potter comes in because, you know, it, it's really on him to figure out how to mesh these guys and how to gel them together in the quickest, most effective way. That's going to get us, you know, maximum amount of points between now and the end of next season. Um, so it really does depend. I think if we go next season and we at least take one trophy or, at, or make a push for the Premier League or have a really deep Champions League run, that's really going to inspire these players. And, you know, I, I think the main thing is if you win trophies at a club, you fall in love with it. That's just the bottom line. So we just got to find a way to start winning trophies again. And we'll see who falls in love with the club because there's definitely a few players in here that I can see, you know, being here for a long time if everything works out. Um, we do have one Twitter question before I want to kind of wrap the show up. It is by Ron, the czar of the ultras, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He had a good question. He actually asked who becomes vice captain and who now takes our penalties. Man, I'm gonna do you say guys Reese. remember? So, I'm going to say Reese. As both? Yeah. Andres I'd say like Tiago. I, I do, but I think Tiago Silva is the obvious vice captain now. Like He will be wearing the armband every week. And then the penalty taker for sure, Reese James. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm more how many, that How doesn't... many penalties has, have we seen him take? I mean, I guess every he, shootout he blasts them, he but Jorginho yeah. has been. Jorginho has been the guys for so long. I just think True. I think I Reese is the only player I trust to not shit the bed and yeah, ping it the over the bar. He's yeah. got huge cojones. Yeah. Do you guys remember? I mean, throwback to when Jorginho was our leading scorer in the Premier League. Yep. And all almost all of his goals were penalties. All but yeah. one. All but sad. one. He scored on Fulham. That right. was it. Yeah. Good well, good times. Well, that kind of wraps it up, boys. Um, I think that was a solid pod. If you guys are still listening, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. We do post a question or we do post a question tweet after uh, every match. That's your chance to respond to it and be on the podcast. We'll shout you out. Um, and uh we'll also answer your question just like we did with first time askers Sophie Bikes earlier today and first time tweeter apparently um also make sure that you're looking out for our new episodes we record every episode uh shortly after the matches um so if you like it make sure you're subscribing and sharing it with your lovely friends um until what sunday monday uh, no we play friday oh yeah well well when we record at least right but uh, un- monday. until next week we'll keep the blue flag flying high <laughs>